My name is Wally, if I have not met you, and uh, I'm on uh, staff here and have the wonderful honor of teaching um, most weeks, so uh, thrilled to be with you. Uh, that you've chosen to gather with us. We're going to jump in. We have been in a series dating back to this past Advent season, so the season leading up to the Christmas season, but we started in uh, the book of Matthew, the gospel book of Matthew. We began there, and what we are, are doing all the way for 2022, uh, through Christmas of 2022, is going through this gospel book of Matthew. So we are going verse by verse in many ways, but you'll see this morning we have a lot of ground to cover, so it's not just one verse at a time, uh, because this, I would say, is more of a jog. This morning feels like a sprint through Matthew, because uh, if you think about it, we're going to take, I mean, it's a little over a year to go through Matthew. There are Bibles now you can buy where it's walking through the Bible, reading through the Bible in a year, um, which can be lovely. Uh, my issue with that is the goal is to get through the Bible in a year, which you are going to miss so much because then it's about getting through it rather than it getting through you. And not that both can't happen, but when you go that fast, whew, uh, because even this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. We'll go through verse 42. Yep. That's a lot. I, and, and what I will do is I'll tell you, we're going to highlight a couple things, and then one of the things we're going to push to next week, but we could spend, in this next section, we could spend at least and in, in easily next five weeks just on this section. So um, it's, it's very hard for me. Um, to, to go uh, this fast. And so please, I hope there are people who are taking notes because I would love to see and hear those notes later and what you're all picking up and we can uh, uh, go back and forth on that because there's a lot. And uh, I'll do my best to go slow. If I'm going too fast, you can slow me down and we'll peel out of here uh, in time for the AFC championship game. So that's it. Three will be great. Uh, just in case you're like the what champ who the Lions aren't playing, um, but that's true of every playoff. So would we say anything? Uh, I'd love to say a word of prayer and then uh, Matthew, we will jump in. Uh, gracious God, I bless you for the opportunity to gather this morning as your body, the church. This is a portion, a branch uh, of uh, the church, and it's a gift to gather, to spend time uh, together in uh, reflection, in, in prayer, in singing, uh, and then opening the scriptures and digging in uh, to the wisdom, uh, the teaching, the gift uh, that is the scriptures. And so uh, we want to take this time very seriously and enjoy ourselves thoroughly. So God... My prayer is, as the psalmist, psalmist said, uh, may the meditation and the posture of my heart in the words of my mouth bring honor and glory to you and you alone. Uh, may that fall into our hearts and transform our hearts. And anything that is not of you, uh, may it just be washed away. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. Uh, real quick before we jump in... Uh, we had a full band scheduled to, I mean, that stage would have been hopping, and then in the last couple days, pew, pew, sickness and dropping off. And so Sam had been scheduled to be with us, though, and Sam was so great because it, it, I mean, it kept falling where it's like it was going to be Sam. Uh, darn, 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 it was like, whoa. Um, and instead, though, uh, it's beautiful that we had Sam helping us, and he does that for us, invites us into worship on his birthday. Happy birthday, Sam. Um, see, that's a, your birthday and you gave us a gift. You are a gift, Sam, so thanks for being with us. We appreciate that. Um, 
It's wonderful. Uh, All right, we're jumping in. Uh, To get our heads around where we'll be in this next section, I want you to think about a time in which you had played or participated in some sort of game or activity in which rules were involved. Maybe for some of you, you did family game night last night and that came into play. But there were rules involved and there was someone at this time uh, around the game, maybe it was you, who, who wants to really dig into the rules. Who's going to explain the rules? And then there's this person who has lots of questions around the rules. Well, tell me about this. And what happens when, when the rules, can you give me some scenarios and examples of how these rules play out? Because if we're not going to follow the rules, then we're not really playing the game, correct? There's that person, right, who really hunkered into the rules. And it's a beautiful thing, says the person who loves to play in the clouds. And, but to have some people say, oh, I know, but there are some rules and we've got to kind of pay attention to them, otherwise this game becomes something other. Well, this gives us a bit of a frame when it comes to this, uh, a little flavor and when it comes to the next movement of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount uh, here in chapter 5. It's as if Jesus is anticipating a, a, a question of whether he is ignoring or changing the rules of his people, uh, often referred to as Torah or the law. He, he's seeing this coming, that it's going to come at him like, are you changing, ignoring, kind of doing away with the rules? What are you doing here with our law? And so Jesus is going to approach this. Uh, and we often, when we translate Torah as law, really what would be far more helpful or is far more help- helpful when we think of the Hebrew scriptures even, what we call the Old Testament, as the instructions, the guidelines This far better, especially that word, the Hebrew word, uh, is more instructions for how to walk with God. Halak is the Hebrew word. Halak is our walk. How do we halak with God? That's kind of what it's getting at here. And so these are some instructions on how to do that. And so how to be a certain kind of people in the world, uh, Sarah so wonderfully taught us how to be salt and light in the world. How do we do that? Well, here's a lot of instructions to help us in that. So what I want to do is climb back up on this foothill. Um, This foothill in Israel, this is actually known as, it's called the Mount of Beatitudes, but as you look at it, you go, it's not much of a mountain, it's a foothill, but Matthew calls it a mountain because he's doing something larger here. He wants you to be thinking of Moses going up on a mountain, receiving the instructions, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, as we often go, from God. Well, now Jesus is going up on a mountain or on this foothill, and he's going to say, let me take that and give you my interpretation of these, this Torah. So we're going to listen in together as we jump on this thing. Matthew 5, 17 to 20, we'll start there. Begins this, uh, do not think, Jesus says to his disciples and those listening on, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, there's a lot of wonderful Jewish language in here of this uh, smallest letter, least stroke of a pen, the smallest letter. The uh, first letter in the Hebrew alphabet is yod. That's, that's the letter, yod. And you're like, that sounds like a word. Uh-huh. It's great. Yod. And yod has kind of like a, a, almost an apostrophe on it, a little uh, mark, but it's more of like an apostrophe after Christmas and New Year's season where it's a little uh, bloated, uh, I guess, a little, little full, uh, this little mark. And it's essentially the language is getting at that. Oh, not even that little mark will be removed until all of it has been accomplished. And so we're going to get into this language. Uh, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least 
in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoo, Jesus, here we go. So this section can be really confusing for people uh, because Jesus begins this section by saying to his students, imagine Jesus like this. He says to his students, uh, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of Moses or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, so Jesus is going to play by the rules of old, the ancient law of of his people. That's what's being here. But then Jesus follows this section in very kind of, I would say confusing or almost sounds contradictory language when he says, you have heard it said, but I say. What that can sound like to you is, you've heard it said, but I'm going to tell you something new and you can do away with that. A lot of people hear that, so we have to get in and you go, is that what's going on here? Um, If you have been with us for any length of time, then you know what would be really helpful is if we dig into what? Context, context, context. So let's giddy up. That word abolish, I have not come to abolish. That word abolish is the word katalua. Go ahead and say katalua. Katalua is the, uh, um, it's the Greek, and it means to, to, it can say discard, destroy, ignore. Now, here's the thing, cancel, nullify. Here's, here's the beauty of it. When you say abolish, abolish or to fulfill, it's a rabbinic idiom when you put them together and contrast them. So Jesus is working with a rabbinic Jewish idiom that would be, abolish would mean to ignore the law by misinterpreting it. Do not think that I have come to misinterpret the law so that the most of us can ignore it. Watch this. So it's, to, it's contrasting here. Jesus says, I'm not doing that. Instead, I'm doing this. The next word, fulfill, and it, it's plerao. Go ahead and say plerao. Plerao is to fill to the full, to draw, draw out its full implications, to make real, or in that Jewish idiom, to properly interpret the Torah. Don't think that I've come to misinterpret it so we can ignore it. I want to properly interpret it so we can live it out fully. Are you with me? We might say, language we might say is, hey, I want to put flesh on the words that were sketched in ink. I want to walk this out so you can see it, so that you can tangibly be a part of this. So Jesus is going to proceed then from here and offer some very clear examples of how these instructions are made real for the common issues of his day. Now then, uh, Matthew 5, 21, 22 goes kind of like this. This is what he says. You have heard it said, but I tell you as it pertains to murder. You have heard a narrow interpretation, so now I want to widen the instruction so it pertains to all people. That's the point. If you give a narrow interpretation, guess what that law will be? It'll only be for a few people. But I want to give it its full weight so it pertains to all people, because otherwise, what's the point? Then he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you as it pertains to adultery. Uh, You have heard it said, but I tell you as it pertains to divorce. Then he says, uh, you have heard it said, but I tell you as it pertains to oaths. And then you have heard it said, but I tell you as it pertains to essentially neighbor relations. An eye for an eye is what it'll be. So you can see how to get through all of these things in one morning, what we're going to have to do is pick a couple of them, look at them a bit more fully, but we can't dive deep into each one, which makes me sad. Um, But it's okay. I'll get over it. Each of these, though, what has just been listed, have been referred to from the Torah. He's pulling these from 
the Hebrew Scriptures. And they're placed in the category, again, of law when we do that, but it's often heard from a very narrow perspective of do not, right? Do, this is what's not to do. Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't divorce, don't break oaths, don't get revenge. In other words, the Torah is how we might address kids or humans in their infancy. Here's the line, don't cross it. That's kind of Torah's beginning point. If you recall, Jesus began this whole Sermon on the Mount with how people are met by the divine, the Beatitudes. God meets you here then what he wants you to do is, because God meets you right where you are, as you are, Jesus trusts that that grace that you embraced, you will now in turn offer that to the people around you. That grace that you've received, will you in turn live from that and offer that same grace to everyone else? That's the flow of the Beatitudes. So then, that's far bigger than thou shall not, correct? Two weeks ago, I said that the Beatitudes, in the beginning, it's, um, it's essentially our frame for the remainder of the sermon. Uh, author Mark Scandrett, he calls the nine Beatitudes the table of contents for the entire sermon, which I think is a great picture. The table of contents for the remainder of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. When we dig into the context, we can get some good handles on what Jesus is up to with the words, you have heard it said, but I say. So let's begin by affirming that Jesus is not being antithetical. Because the way in which it reads, some people think that, oh, is he doing away with? Is he anti this? He is not opposing Torah. He is actually extending it and intensifying it. An antithesis would be, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, lock and load. That would be antithetical. Are you with me? And maybe some of you are going, wait a minute, I feel like I've heard people kind of refer to it that way. Yeah, exactly. So why this is needed now more than ever, because some people roll that way. Um, Then... If we recall, Matthew has been doing from the very beginning of his gospel, he's trying to get you to think in all the language used, think of Moses. Jesus is the new Moses coming on the scene, offering us this whole way. And it's like they're giving all of this picture back to that. He's presenting Jesus as a new Moses who is now taking the Torah, and here's the important thing, maturing it. He's taking it and growing it up putting flesh and blood on it, yes, walking it out so that we can have a practical example of what this looks like, putting flesh and bone on it, which is helpful for us, right? Does anyone go, I just wish it was a bit more practical? Well, that's what we're digging into. So we'll go back to verse 18. We'll go back to Lego Jesus, and he says this. "Um, In truth, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even the smallest stroke of a letter will, pa- will pass from the law. Not the least stroke of a pen will disappear until everything is accomplished. Now the Greek word for accomplished is ginomai. It means to come into existence, to fill in, this is how I think, to fill in the blanks on an incomplete paper that's been handed to you. Have you ever been handed a paper and it's got the blanks and, and then someone starts talking and you're supposed to fill in the blanks and then they get done with their talk and you're looking down and you have three spots not filled in and you're like, you, 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 you miss some, you skip some. It's as if the paper has been handed out and Jesus is like, oh, let me go ahead and fill those blanks in that you might be missing so that you know this thing a bit more fully. Are you with me? Saying it another way is being met where you are as you are, is really nice. Thanks, God, for meeting us as we are, right where we are. That makes us feel warm, and it can make us feel chosen. Ah, great. But the goal was never to just feel saved from sin and chaos. Lovely, thank you. But to complete the movement 
of being met by grace by extending that grace to others, which is about being saved for. I'm saved from sin and chaos, and I'm saved for extending this grace to others. Are you with me? That movement is really important because it's participating in what God is doing. The invitation is participation. This is about completing the intended movement of the instructions, meaning the goal isn't just obeying by not breaking the rules, but fulfilling them by extending them to others into the world. Are you with me? Contextually, and again, contextually, in Jewish thought, this, what Jesus is doing here, it's got a name, you can write it down, hang on to it. It's called building a fence around Torah. Building a fence around Torah is what these people would know exactly what he's doing. Now, in Perke Avot, which is uh, ethics of the fathers, also known as that, the rabbis note this, and we'll put it up there. The rabbis say this in Perke Avot. Moses received Torah at Sinai and handed it on to Joshua, Joshua to elders and elders to prophets, and prophets handed it on to the men of the great assembly. They said three things, be prudent in judgment, raise up many disciples, make a fence for the Torah. Just as a fence outside of a house protects what's inside the house, so the fence around Torah protects the commands by creating, and this is key, creating circumstances that make violation more applicable to all people. For example, and watch this, you could hold a narrow definition of murder as just intentionally killing someone physically, but Jesus builds a fence around it. He extends it to say this in verse 21 and 22. You have heard it said uh, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha is answerable to the Sanhedrin, Jewish ruling council. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus says that if you allow anger to fester in the heart, it makes one more likely to commit murder. Anger, then, is the blinking light on the dashboard of your heart, indicating that maintenance is required. Are you with me? Jesus is trying to say, if you make the law only do not murder, guess what will happen? You'll have a whole group of people say, okay, I can do that. I cannot physically kill someone. Guess that doesn't pertain to me. Jesus goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Torah is for everyone. So let's back it up. Let's talk about anger because murder doesn't just happen, but let's talk about that blinking light on the dashboard of your heart called anger, because that's where this begins. Are you with me? Because we know anger can quickly morph into contempt, and contempt becomes the lens in which, or the narrative in which you see now that person or those people. And that lens is one that vilifies them, says they're bad, they're wrong, or they're a problem. So now if we could only remove that problem, well, then our world would be better. It would be holier. Do you see where this goes? Jesus is building a fence around the instruction to not murder by extending it into paying attention to the anger that may be growing and festering in one's heart. It's brilliant and it's needed. Well done. Thank you, Jesus. Of course, don't intentionally kill, but also pay attention to the anger quietly working in the tool shed of your heart because then one day you might go in there and open the door and go, what has been built here? Are you with me? 
the idea of building a fence around Torah is really about growing in maturity as it pertains to relationships, which is said so well by our good friend Tom. Tom Wright, uh, Nicholas Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, foremost New Testament scholar, says this, if part of human, human maturity is learning how to recognize your anger and deal with it before it gets out of control, we have to conclude that most of us are not very mature. Um, just, if you hear it in his wonderful British accent, it softens it a little bit, but it's still there, right? Oh, that's fantastic. Because if murder is only about physically killing someone, then that makes the law applicable to just, you know, those people. Those really off, just, they're crazy. Which if, if murder is only about those people who physically kill someone, then that can lead to a society that makes room for all kinds of killing. Scholar Amy Jill Levine says it so very well. She says this, oh, this is so good. Jesus sees connections between murder and insult, death and name-calling. He's right. We've heard that sticks and stones may can break my bones, but names can never hurt me, but the saying is wrong. Names hurt, names kill. In our call-out culture, children are cyberbullied to death. People take their lives because of the barrage of insults. Names killed. Jesus was right. If only we would listen to him. Jesus highlights how the embers in your heart, which lead to name-calling, can expand inside you until they become a fire that consumes you. And at that point, one is in danger of living in the flames of Gehenna, which is the Greek word we translate as hell. But Gehenna means Valley of Hinnom, which is a valley that runs along the west and southwest side of Jerusalem. And it was where people threw their garbage and then it burned. They lit it on fire. And then because of this garbage and it was constantly burning, they said, there in the Valley of Hinnom and Gehenna, the fires never go out. And when you live in such a way where anger takes a hold of you and drives you and all of a sudden consumes you, guess what? Well, that's like someone who just lives their life in the endless fires of Gehenna. He's giving people a very clear picture that they would know about. Pay attention to the parameters of your heart. Are you with me? Now, as it pertains to adultery, so we're just going to touch on a couple. So we do some work here with anger and um, this. Now let's talk a bit about adultery. Jesus says, don't give way to lust. He builds a fence around it. Which one, which one when one plays out adultery in one's mind and in their heart, that's lust. And like anger, it's an indicator. It's a warning sign on the dashboard of your heart. It reveals something about our longings and desires. That's what lust does. So I would define lust this way. Lust is when our desires get twisted and become demands. Are you with me? Jesus is teaching that every heart is capable of murder and adultery. So be sure to pay attention to and wrestle with the darkness in your heart. Because when your desires get twisted and then they become demands, you have to have this. And now your mind and your heart are preoccupied on getting that thing, person, whatever it may be that you're now lusting after. So then Jesus moves on and he has instructions surrounding divorce. And what we decided to do is we're going to talk about that in depth next week. We're going to spend an entire week on divorce, how Jesus sinks into it. Because I can't imagine there's not a person in this room in which divorce has not somehow significantly impacted their life. So we don't want to whip through it. We want to take it very seriously and do the deeper work that Jesus is offering here because it's really important. So next week, divorce. Now this next one, I love. As it pertains to taking a false oath, Jesus forbids all oath-taking. How about a simple yes or no? 
So do what you say or simply don't say you'll do it. It's a kind of a novel concept. Thanks, Jesus. Wisdom here says, don't go lathering up a bunch of language about how you promise and I, I'll, to, I'll put, bet the hairs on my head that we'll do it. You know, I promise you. And uh, it doesn't work well for me. Uh, but you know what I mean? You lather it up. And he's like, no, how about this? Say what you mean and mean what you say. And stop doing a bunch of oaths. Practice clear communication. This is a move from infancy to maturity, which is needed today. Yes? As for an eye for an eye, Jesus seems to change the subject, and he talks about the depth of generosity. When people attempt to take from you, you step up to their intimidation tactics or their greed and you combat it with generosity. That's what he says here, which is a much more powerful force. Grasping what Jesus is doing here invites us to see how he is saying that, the to- that if you use the Torah to justify violence, in retaliation, you have gravely missed the point. Which, by the way, is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have done. They now have taken the Torah and they now use it to justify how they treat people, revenge, retaliation. Oh, the Torah says, we eye for an eye, so guess what? And he's like, that was the beginning. That was supposed to be where you start. You've made it the end point. Wrong. It's a beginning. Please grow up. In building a fence around Torah, Jesus forces us to reflect on both justice and mercy, which he affirms all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He is inviting us to prayerfully wrestle with both justice and mercy so that we grow in maturity and wisdom. Here's what what I was thinking about it. A modern day thing, I would think of it as this way. Um, You have heard it said, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. But I tell you, the Bible begins it, right? The Bible begins it, we engage with it, Jesus, wisdom, spirit matures it. Very different. When we say the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it. We make the Bible the last word, the ending point, when those who wrote the Bible said, I'd like to take a first word at this, and then you all are supposed to engage with it, work it out, and grow up in the Spirit. That's what the Scriptures do. It's not the, it's not the last word, it's the first word. Thank you very much. Do you see how that view, that approach... Oh, interesting. Maybe hang on to that as we head into New Wine Wednesday because it's a very different approach, but it's really helpful because otherwise we think then the Bible is something that wins our arguments when we, wah, I'll get you. I'll throw it down on you. Watch this. End of discussion. Bam. Jesus isn't doing that. Oh, let's grow it up. Let's mature it. Let's keep going with this. Jesus does not use scriptures to end conversations and debates. He simply says, this is a jumping off point. This is a beginning. And then we are to engage it, wrestle with it, and see what it looks like to put flesh and blood on it in our very lives. Let's put flesh and blood to the ink that's been on the parchment. The Torah, the scriptures, are not a weapon to whack people with, but instructions that help us mature as we walk with the divine. Come on. I like it. The goal isn't to hide from, bury, or ignore problems, but to learn how to deal with them, how to face them. And the examples Jesus just gave here in the Sermon on the Mount, in these examples, they're all relational. You pick up on that? All the examples he just gave are about how we interact with one another. It's relationships. 
As you have been met by love and transformed by this love, do the same in your relationship with others. Again, salvation isn't about escape from this world. It's about following Jesus into the world to participate in the restoration, renewal, and reconciliation of this world, these relationships, all of it. This is about becoming more fully human, not escaping our humanity. Every time we decide to let our emotions cook in contempt, we become a little less human. To be Christian isn't simply about obeying rules, but preserving and restoring life. Jesus spells it out further. Verse 19 This is really good. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever what? Practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. First, the order of practice and teach is ready. It's participation into proclamation. How much would that help? Because how many times do people just say a bunch of stuff And then we look at their life and you go, what? None of that seems to be true in how you live. But man, that megaphone is really loud in my face with what you think. Are you with me? The movement's important. How you live, not what you say you believe, is the point here, which guides us to the next verse about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, which Lego Jesus says, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses the experts in the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The, the Pharisees and the experts in the law. He's like, oh, unless it surpasses that, in which we might go, oh, that seems intimidating. But here's the thing. Pharisees and teachers of the law, they, they knew the law, they knew it intellectually better than anyone, and they tended to let everyone know that, by the way, too. Uh, So Jesus will continually confront them about how they teach, yet they don't lift a finger to help anyone, is what he says. In other words, you don't practice what you teach. They talk and judge from an ivory tower. For them, faith is more a concept used to admonish others rather than a calling to work out together in community. Are you with me? Does that sound at all familiar in our day? People just saying, I've got a lot of things to say. And it's really going to drive you into the ground. And then we watch their life and go, I'm lost. I thought, yeah. This is where far too many miss how Jesus brilliantly confronts and upends immature religious and political rhetoric. Many people today brush Jesus aside as either a liberal hippie who is pitching an idealistic love and freedom message, or others shrug him off as just another conservative religious figure drawing lines in the sand about who's in and who's out. When Jesus is actually confronting and transcending these very religious and political categories, which is a good place for us to now peer into how a number of the groups in Jesus' day did function with such religious and political tribalism, dividing up and creating their own version of our group is right and all of the others are wrong. By the way, it's not a new idea. It's been happening for a really long time. And there were groups in Jesus' day that did it, which does this. You take a position, you build an entire system around it, and then you say that this way is certainly the best way, and it might be the only way, by the way. But once again, the Bible is often way ahead of us in simply trying, and we're just trying to catch up with what this is getting at. So what I want to do is really quickly take a brief look at these groups. First, Pharisees. So you're going to have, we're going to go through Pharisees, Sadducees, slash Herodians, Zealots, and Essenes. Uh, Pharisees, just to give you a glimpse, they seem to be about purity, almost entirely defined by thou shall not. If we follow Torah perfectly, then Messiah will come and rescue us from all these pagan people, exalting us to royalty and power. See, the problem in our world are those people. 
the sick, diseased, sinful, poor, pagan people, the prostitutes, the drunkards, and the sinners. What we need to do is we all need to clean up and we need to weed those weak, sick people out and then Messiah will come and save us. And now can you see what one of the glaring issues the Pharisees and teachers of the law would have with Jesus who gravitates toward, has meals with, and hangs out with the drunkards and the sinners and the sick people and he offers them love and healing and the Pharisees are boiling with contempt. Interesting. Now, Herodians or slash Sadducees. They, this group, finds it foolish to play the power game because Rome is clearly unbeatable, too strong. So this priestly group, this is the group that ran the Jewish temple and the whole system, they see compromise and playing the political game as the safest and most comfortable way forward. So what they do is they take the temple system and they enmesh it with Herod's politics, which is working in partnership with Rome and Caesar, and they just smash it all together because what this will do is it'll appease Rome, which keeps us safe, and it'll also keep us a good distance from, you know, the icky people, the sinners and stuff. So we'll do that. Oh, by the way, though, we'll make an awful lot of money off of them by creating a whole three-tiered taxation system we don't have time to get into. So we'll make lots of money off of impoverishing them, and we'll stay buddy-buddy with Rome. We're comfortable. We feel good. Yeah, we just make some bends, some compromises. Then we have the zealots. The zealots believe the reason the faith and our people haven't flourished or that we haven't received the coming Messiah is because people are being passive and weak. If we fight Rome, if we rise up in violent revolt, then we'll be given victory and have our great king come to us and take his rightful place on the throne and we will occupy as the world as God's great soldiers. Zealots. Then the Essenes, who Sarah mentioned a little bit last week, they believe the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Zealots have all lost the plot. And the religion has become corrupt both politically and by the wider culture. So this group moves to the desert and starts an alternative community where they can live in isolation because God always meets the people in the desert. They attempt to abandon the corrupt system and filthy culture for the so that they can just be themselves together and we will pray for the coming Messiah who will rescue us and take us to the sweet by and by. This is the Essenes. So hopefully by now you've got some things humming in you. You're like, it's not too difficult to see how our society today in the Western church has kind of similarly divided up itself. Are we picking up on that? Maybe something in you? Uh-huh. There are those who are clearly right and we just need to clean up and clear out those people. I remember uh, my freshman year in science, uh, one wonderful teacher in many ways, but I remember him saying <laughs> in class, I remember sitting in class and he's like, you know, if we could just take those people, and he listed some people, and if we could gather them up, put them on an island and just blow it up, our world would be much better. Five years ago, I was invited to speak at a church, and they say, hey, could you teach for a few weeks? And I came in and taught, and then all of a sudden, I got there, and he was playing bass in the band. I'm like, hey, you're my teacher that wanted to blow up a, a whole significant part of our people. Oh, boy, could we sit down and have coffee afterwards? Because that's what you taught me, and now we're going to strum some Jesus tunes. And hearts change, and I would love to grab coffee because I'm assuming that's what happened. Anyways, there are those who blur the line between politics and pious religion, rarely being able to see the difference themselves, so they tend to fight for what suits them and their tribe, what is most comfortable for their team, revealing really a much too small and tribal God. There are the zealots who simply want to take up arms to fight for their team, their way, and their rights. This is the fight fire with fire mindset. Except their violent ways that they're going to do, they're baptized by the fire of an offended deity who will clean up this world through a God-ordained army. 
The problem is people are spineless and weak. So the Bible then is ripped out of context in order to justify a bunch of violence for God's sake. Then you have the scenes who create a safe, comfortable bubble, a subculture, where they can hide from the sick, sinful, dirty world. Are we seeing this? Jesus, on the other hand, comes announcing something vastly different, a way that subverts the supposed powerful who demand to be served by initiating and modeling a life of sacrificial love, which is found in serving, which is far more transformative than demanding to be served. Jesus doesn't begin with behavior modification or sin management, as Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard said. Rather, Jesus offers life transformation. Because Jesus is about hearts healed and made whole, which create an appetite for restoring, renewing, and reconciling the very God-ordained world that he said, it is good when I created it, and it's not to leave it, it's to heal it and restore it, so would you participate with me in that? Jesus doesn't call us to simply obey rules, I'd say it this way, but to live for preserving and restoring life. There's a big difference. The brilliance of Jesus is he refuses to play the game of in or out, impure, pure, and that really frustrated a lot of people back then. And I think it does today too. We just really would love it if Jesus was always, only dualistic. This or that. He, he has some moments, we'll get there, in which he just makes it clear, it's this or that. But then he's always working to expand that with wisdom. Jesus didn't come to start another religion built on membership or purity codes and exclusion. Jesus begins by seeing all people as divine image bearers. And through sacrificial love poured out, people are awakened to that very foundation in them and are invited to see everything from it and to live from that very place. Let's go back to scholar Amy Jill Levine. She says this, in following the commandments as Jesus interprets them, his disciples, his students, walk as if they have one foot already in the kingdom of heaven. How gorgeous is that? When we listen, when we wrestle with, and when we walk the way of Jesus, it's as if we're walking with one foot already in the kingdom. That's good. That's what we need more and more and more, which leads us to ask some questions today for how this falls on us. We'll wrap up with some questions that I would love for us to sink into. Jesus understood Torah to function as a view under the dashboard of one's heart. So the question would be, what is the lens you use to examine the dashboard of your heart? What lens is it? What is it that you Take time to go, this is how I'm viewing, reflecting on, contemplatively thinking about, this is the time and this is how I go about examining my heart. And then how do you determine the difference between healthy, righteous anger and the kind of anger soaked in fury which leads to words first that kill? How do you determine the difference that says this anger might lead me to justice and righteousness for people, for, for our world. And what is it that, you know what, that just gets me going and it makes me go after people. Calling names, tearing them down, letting them know how wrong and stupid and dumb they are, but whoa, if they would just join my team, then. If lust is the point at which desires become demands. What kinds of things do you find yourself lusting after? I think it's an important question because we're not going to pretend like it's not there. We're instead going to acknowledge that it is there. And so we're asking ourselves, how do we get after this? What is it that we begin to demand, essentially? Where does it go? And what does that reveal about the longings in your heart? We're examining our heart. What is it that my heart gets preoccupied on? What is it that, that I can spend all sorts of energy, mental, emotional, whatever energy 
trying to get, have, whatever it is. And then how might you begin, maybe begin practices or deepen practices that help you name and confront the darkness in your heart? What practices do you have to be able to sit down and basically have your heart before you and go, I need to, I, I want to take some time and this practice will help me pinpoint some of those edges, some of those shadows in me. Where is it that I've got some, some darkness hiding in the tool shed, building some stuff, and if that door gets opened up, ooh, ooh, we're in trouble. What, what is that? What practice do I have? Is it some prayer in the morning? Is it meditating on Scripture, which is more like, what are some of the things that we do? You know what? Oh, I'm feeling a bit stingy, so I'm actually going to act a little bit generous and try and open myself up rather than lock myself away. What are some of the things you do? Uh, do you have a safe person or people who have permission to read your dashboard and assist in the tuning up? of your heart. Who are those people in your life that can go, can we grab coffee? I'm noticing the way you've been talking around people and it's a little edgy. There's a little bit of bite there. And, and I'm wondering, is something going on that we could talk about? Is there some way in which there might be something else going on? Or, or you know what, I noticed the way you look at that person with such viciousness. Is there something that we need to talk about? Hey, I want to be that safe person that can sit down and grab some coffee or whatever. And can we talk about the, the edges of your heart a bit? Do you have that person or those people, that community, that we can do that together? Because then we can grow and mature together. And then when you have a heart that's being transformed, or I do, there's far more celebration and party when we do that in community. Some things for us to think about. We did it. Well done. Uh, I'd like to just take a moment and pray and then give us a, a little bit of time through song as a practice to be a bit more contemplative and to think on Jesus inviting us and offering us ways to mature in what has been taught, spoken, instructions given. How can we allow that to walk out in our life? Gracious God, I bless you for the invitation to gather as a community. I bless you, God, for such stunning wisdom that you provide us. Jesus, I bless you for showing us what it means to walk out Scripture, the instructions, the way you show us. And God, I bless you that you invite us to keep going. You invite us to grow into and through this. That it's not done, it's not finished. Our lives are happening and you want us to keep going and keep growing and maturing and we do that in and through you and I bless you for that God I pray that you as you do that you're continually speaking to each one of us guiding us leading us whispering poking prodding inviting drawing us out drawing us forward inviting us to move with you to walk with you and putting all things back together. I bless you, God. Um, I just want to continue to honor this space in which you are speaking, God, and we would take a moment to reflect and think on your love. In the name of Christ, amen.